You are listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. Today, Kathy is joined by Acting Senator John Kyle to discuss topics ranging from marriage, family traditions, the current state of Congress, and civility to the recent midterms. And now, here's Kathy. Well, today I'm with United States Senator John Kyle um, to talk about what's going on in our country. And I want to, by way of introduction for Senator Kyle, um, he is to me the very definition of a statesman, someone who throughout his career has walked with integrity, with a commitment to conservative principles um, and wisdom. And so to start off, um, well, of course, we know that after spending 18 years in the Senate, eight years in the House, if I have that right, yes. And then now you're back for a short stint. And, of course, we met way back when in the very first um, congressional campaign. But before we get into the political stuff, I want to just, um, I always like to bring up Carol, because you and Carol, uh, how long have you been married now? We've been married uh, 64 years, going on 65. 64 years. Mm-hmm. And what I always was so touched by is how much Carol, that those whole 26 years, how much Carol traveled back and forth with you and what... What a, a helpmate, what a partner she's been. Um, for those who are listening that are young marrieds, um, what's been the, the secret or, <laughs> you, know, you know, what's worth the best with, with your marriage? Yeah. Um, well, I think we're both committed to each other. We loved each other and still do. And uh, uh, just, you know, trying to live wholesome lives uh, and... Uh, focusing more than anything else on our family and uh, our faith and uh, it's uh, you know I suppose it's it's hard for some couples but it's never been that hard for us and uh, I, I think maybe one of the key things is having respect for each other and if if you do it, it's hard to to mistreat your spouse and I think we, we both respect each other very much, and that's, that's part of it, too. But I really appreciate your calling out, Carol, at the uh, CAP dinner. Uh, it's hard on spouses in politics. Uh, they have to sit back and take all of the slings and arrows. They can't fight back. The candidate can get in the middle of the arena and duke it out with the opponent and give speeches and... and, uh, and talk to people and all the rest of it, but the spouse has to just sit there and take it. And um, the spouse's life becomes the life of the of the public servant. Uh, yes, you can have your own activities and your own uh, life, especially if you have a family, you have to do that. But a lot of times the spouse is relegated to taking care of the family because the it, it's a little bit like being in the military when you're in public service. Your life is not your own, and I'm not complaining about it or saying it's overly difficult, but and it's certainly not as bad as being deployed abroad if you're in the military, but uh, there are comparisons, and so it's tough for a spouse, and they deserve our, all of the spouses of uh, public servants deserve our, our uh, support. It makes a difference. What, and you had a successful law career and then ran for Congress. So what drew you into public service and public policy? My father had been a member of Congress from the state of Iowa, and I saw fairly up close uh, what public service could be. But that began about the time that I uh, came to Arizona to attend the University of Arizona, so I wasn't directly involved in it. But I was always interested in politics. That's what I studied at the University of Arizona. 
became very active in the Republican Party when I moved to Phoenix after graduating from law school and helped other candidates in their campaigns, uh, just stayed very active in politics. I, I never wanted to run for any office, uh, except in the back of my mind, I'm sure I had the thought that if I ever did, it would be for the same office that my father had held, U.S. Congress. But I would have never run against an incumbent or tried to move to a district where I could win. And when Eldon Rudd called me on July 4th, 1985, and said, I'm not going to run again, you ought to think about it, that's when I really had to face the question, would I really like to do this or not? And I decided to do it with Carol. We had a long talk on the way back from where we were in the car and finally concluded. Uh, and I'll tell you one quick story. I, I thought, yeah, if I lose, I go back to a perfectly happy life practicing law, not a problem. If I win, something new that I can really serve it. But it, I, I don't know at what point it hit me, but after two or three months with all of the volunteers that came out to help me in a difficult primary election in my very first uh, race, you quickly uh, reach the point where, no, losing is not an option. You have to win for all the people who are helping you because they're sacrificing so much to, to be supportive. So uh, it became an obsession to win that race no matter what, you know, uh, to do everything we could to win, and, and we did, and went on to the career that I've had. I remember it well because it was the first really political involvement that I had since moving um, since we moved to Arizona. And one thing I've never forgotten is how how the timing worked out. And you made a comment at one point that how your younger child was, I think, a senior in high school. So as far as it wasn't going to disrupt the family life, as far as you being gone in Washington so much, and that Carol would be able to to be with you, and that how you wouldn't be leaving a child at home and and be the absent dad. That's, that's right. Uh, he went off to college uh, just before I went off to Washington. And our daughter was nice enough to arrange her college in such a way that she could graduate uh, a semester early. So when we went back to Washington, she graduated from Pepperdine and came back to Washington with us and uh, started her career back there. It's hard for uh, the uh, members who have young families. It's You've got a Hobson's choice. Do you move them back to Washington? Do you keep them home? If you keep them home, the husband and wife begin to drift apart because he's, or let's say he in this case, in my case, you're growing. I mean, there's no question if you're elected to Congress, you immediately begin um, a, a creating a new life. And it's it, it really is growth. You learn so much more. You're so much more in the public life. You have more responsibility. And there are a lot of unfortunate effects on a family when that happens if the spouse is not back in Washington growing with you. Uh, if, if in this case, Carol had had to stay back home and continue her life here, first of all, that's time apart, which is not good for a marriage, and uh, having to rear the family all by herself, not good for the kids. Um, and your interests gradually begin to diverge as well. So since we didn't have to worry about that, um, Carol tried to mentor the spouses of members who came into the House of Representatives. They, they pay, it's kind of a big sister kind of proposition. And her advice to all of them was, if there's any way possible that you can stay together, if you can move your family to Washington, even though that's not the best thing for young kids, um, and you know, you're kind of uprooting folks from your home, nevertheless, in terms of your own marriage and your own family obligations, uh, it's better than if you're apart. And I hope people 
think about that a little bit when they when they see candidates running for office. Again, I'm not asking for any sympathy, but people should understand that it really is a sacrifice if you're young enough to have a family, fortunate enough to have a family. And I will also say to some extent, this is a young person's game. It requires an enormous amount of energy. And uh, uh, the, the younger you are, the more energetic you can be about it. Well, there's no question that's a sacrifice. And we see that if you're going to do the job right, right, if you're going to really be the public servant and serve the people and not have your staff run you, um, then, then you and certainly you've never been one to let your staff run you. Um, that you always firmly. Well, one more thing, if I, one of my pet peeves is the news media that says, "Well, they're going on vacation now. <laughs> the members uh, uh, have the month of August off, for example. Next week, Thanksgiving week, we will have will be in recess. I don't. I just got in last night. I don't have to go back until after Thanksgiving. We have a week quote a week off." Wrong. Uh, you know, this is the first day of my week off. I'm sitting here in my office talking right. to you, and I've got phone calls and meetings and all the rest of it. You have to get out and meet with your constituents during the time that you're in your home state. And it's town hall meetings and, uh, uh, you know, the symbolic things, the ribbon cuttings and the parades and all that, and a lot of meetings with constituents. So that's not time off. Uh, it's basically a six and a half a day job, uh, six and a half day a week job. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's switch. Um, so you were out of the inside of the Senate for six years, or close to six years, five and, five and a half, I guess yeah, I should right, say, yeah. um, and doing um, law practice and other things. Now, um, to be back in for a few months, just changes in the United States Senate and, and what you see as far as just the state of, I guess, our, our what's going on in D.C. Well, the, the Senate and the House have changed gradually to become much more partisan. Uh, there are some fits and starts where it changes uh, on an earthquake level, and the Kavanaugh hearing was one of those situations. When I uh, was sworn in, it was just before the allegations against Judge Kavanaugh. So I had spent six weeks visiting my former Senate colleagues as a just a and lawyer, the and the, yeah, the Sherpa. Sherpa. And uh, uh, it was clear that the Democrats were going to be in a partisan mode against him, but uh, it wasn't rancorous. I was appointed, and right after that, the accusations came, and it became a totally rancorous proposition. And then the campaign followed right after that, or the election, and those two things together have been hard on the Democrat-slash-Republican friendships in the House, excuse me, in the, in the Senate, where a body where you know each other better there are fewer members. You have to work together more because of the rules. So there is more bipartisanship in the Senate. But I saw that strain to a significant degree. And it's still not back to normal, uh, where the Democrats and Republicans are just not talking to each other as much as they used to. They don't mingle on the floor when we have a vote like they used to. So it's a different environment. And hopefully... Uh, the passions will cool and we'll get back to working with each other and not being s such jerks when we argue with each other. 
Well, and that goes to the whole the concern that everyone has about civility in the and in, in the lack of civility in our country as a whole, and the different attacks, whether it's you know Tucker Carlson having somebody beat down his door. Or, I mean, it's on it's on the right and the left that that no one seems to be immune from some type of a vicious attack or ugly things being seen, whether it's social media contributing to that. But how do we restore civility? I mean, it's got to be leadership at some level, right? Yeah, well. I've thought about this a lot, a lot of members have, and you put your finger right on it, leadership. Uh, I, I don't know of any other way to, to make it happen. You can't restrain the press. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. Uh, the, the president uh, should exercise leadership in this area by demonstrating civility. Um, but everybody has an ob who is in a leadership position has an obligation to do that. If we all did, it would make those who don't uh, the minority and uh, uh, gradually ease them out of positions of responsibility. The people bear a large responsibility too. And I don't know chicken and egg where it starts, but wherever it started, uh, the American people also need to do the same thing. And I've seen a coarsening of our society and a... Uh, a degree of political incivility even among members of the same family. I mean, I hate to see what the Thanksgiving dinner is going to be like this year with some families. Uh, I've got a sister who I love dearly, but our politics are different. And it's never been a, a problem for us because we don't let it be. And that's the way that I think people have to, uh, have to approach this. But it, leadership both in the family and in the society and with our, our political folks. I, I, I don't know of any other way to, to do it. Now, From in the long run, uh, our culture um, is coarsening, and that's also something that has to change, but that's a subject for a, another session, I suspect. Well, and to talk about President Trump and the impact that he's had, in a sense, that, you know, what, what I see frequently is that his administration is doing some things that as conservatives we have long wanted to see, whether it's in health and human services on the life front, some of the religious freedom things that they've done, certainly the appointment appointment of judges is top of the list, but yet, you know, the deportment, um, the, um, the lack of civility from the tweets and that kind of thing, that that is turning people away, and I think it did. And then when you talk about the Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinners and all that, that how the young, you know, the older generation who I think in 2016 could not imagine or fathom a Hillary Clinton presidency, but then their children and grandchildren, you know, didn't, how could we handle a Trump with his lack of morality? I mean, that that, that division, you know, to me, I think that that there's not enough understanding of what really happened in that, with that dynamic that's ongoing. Right. Well, that's why I say there's a there's a, a another whole session to talk about uh, how our culture has coarsened and how it's affected us all. And there are some ways that I think you and I could agree uh, we could help ameliorate that. But it's a long term project. A lot of it has to do with going back to faith and uh, our our leaders. I, again, I believe have an obligation to exercise leadership in this regard, and because the president has such a big megaphone, as they say, everybody pays attention. Um, uh, he has a responsibility to help uh, lead us into a better cultural place. So, to kind of just a final um, thoughts on 
the recent election results and where we are in Arizona, especially with we have um, some significant changes, closer races and I mean closer um, ratios, I guess, in the Arizona state legislature um, in statewide races. The congressional delegation has changed um, thoughts on as far as where we are as a state and, and where we need to go from here. I think uh, both parties will be analyzing the election results when they're all in, and it's too soon to say, therefore, exactly what happened in every case. But I think there are some fairly obvious lessons. First of all, uh, parties in power tend to get sloppy, and the party not in power, hungry for success, can sometimes take advantage of that. I think that occurred in some races this year. Um, the quality of the candidate matters. Uh, you can't always blame external forces for what happens in any given particular race. The quality of the campaign matters. You have to run a good campaign if you expect to lose. And uh, some, sometimes a candidate that's better funded, uh, that doesn't run a good race, loses. But that brings up the third thing. Money does matter. It's not necessarily the dominant factor, but it can be in certain circumstances. So candidate, campaign, the money, um, and then sometimes a national trend will have an impact too. It's less likely to have an impact on a local race than it is a U.S. Senate race, for example. In some cases it can affect U.S. House races, but usually not as much as in Senate races. So that's a fourth factor that, uh, that we will have to analyze in this particular race. Uh, and then there are factors like whether it's a uh, presidential election year or not, and that has to do with the nationalization of the race. So we'll just have to see. Now, as to Arizona, um, the turnout for both parties was high, and that's a good thing in a way. Um, and depending on which party, the reason I say in a way, because depending on which party you're in, if the other party turns out more of their voters, obviously you're at a disadvantage. But um, both parties should be about turning out their voters to the extent possible. And that means for the future that Democrats have at least a potential opportunity here because of demographics. Younger people, more minority people in the state uh, tending to be uh, tending to vote Democratic more. So if they can turn those people out, they'll have a bit of an advantage. Um, but Republicans have had a big voter registration advantage, and in the past it's been hard for Democrats to win statewide offices because of that. But they won some this time, and that uh, demonstrates, uh, again, that they did a better job than Republicans. Okay, so one last question since we're in the holiday season. Um, favorite holiday tradition, Thanksgiving or Christmas? As with most families, I suspect, uh, our family tries to get together for Thanksgiving. Uh, the family's big enough now and dispersed enough that not everybody gets to be together at the same time in the same place. And by the way, that says something about our society today. We, we're not as uh, family-friendly as we used to be because we have the ability to disperse throughout the country. And we've got a granddaughter in London, so I mean, it's, so, it's not just within this country that, uh, that we're spread out. Um, so that makes it more difficult, but uh, we just we try to get together both on Thanksgiving, and Christmas, and uh, um, you know that's 
it, it is critically important that families create traditions. Because I've been back in Washington so much, our family has a tradition of trying to get together for family dinner on the weekend when I'm home here every weekend. Not all of us get together, uh, but as many, my mother is 98 years old, and it's important to have her be with our grandchildren when, when possible, but certainly our two kids who are both in Phoenix now. So uh, more family time together, the better. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Senator Kyle, for spending time with us. We are grateful for your support. Thank you, and, and thank all the people, by the way, that support uh, CAP. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.